All right, guys, welcome back to episode 29 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Bomani. I have a special guest today. We've been trying to make this happen for a couple of weeks now, but it's finally here. I'm with Jake from Uncovered NFL. His own Instagram page is doing very well. Um, he's got 100K subscribers going up. Uh, he's been progressing throughout the Instagram NFL strategy for a while now. He's got great content in terms of breaking news, having in-depth conversation with his fans on his platform, and making predictions and whatnot as well. So I'm going to let Jake, you know, introduce himself, talk about his product before we get to the topics today. So Jake, take it away. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on here. I'm glad we were able to <clears throat> finally get this figured out. <clears throat> I, my voice is a little raspy. It's because I've been uh, down in Milwaukee all week uh, cheering on my baseball team, the Cardinals. So I apologize for that. Hopefully I still sound all right. But yeah, I am the CEO and founder of Uncovered Sports Network, founded in April of 2021. Uh, right now we have 100, <clears throat> 105,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, NBA and MLB are around 27,000 followers, uh, launching NHL soon. And we have TikTok and uh, Twitter as well. Um, basically just a social media agency. Uh, we, we thrive off of engagement with our followers. We respond to every DM that we can. We respond to comments. We post interactive posts, interactive story posts every single day. So if you're listening and you want a new plug for everything NFL, NBA, MLB, give us a follow. We'd love to have you join the community. Heard of the man, and he's encompassing all sports as well, basketball, baseball, even say NHL is coming soon. So if you're a fan of any one of those sports, please check him out. Great content. It's very interactive, and it'll be an enjoyable experience as well. We're going to dive into these NFL topics, and we have one to talk about. It's a little bit recent and fresh on the mind. The Panthers, they started 3-0. First time in six years they've done so. They were able to beat the Texans 24-9 on Thursday night football. And it was a team, Jake, you picked early on in the season as being a squad that's underrated, under the radar, that will make some noise, not just in the NF not just in their division, but in the NFC overall. And they've been led by some solid play by Sam Darnold, who was able to have a pretty efficient game yesterday, 24-36, 308 yards, and ran for two scores on his own. Um, how significant, though, has his play been in terms of helping this team get to where they are right now at three and zero? Oh, it's been crucial. Uh, having Sam Darnold behind center, I think has been great for both sides. It's been great for the Panthers and it's been great for Sam Darnold. I was watching him in New York ever since he got drafted and he, that team around him just wasn't going to be able to set him up for success. Now that he has a, a very underrated defense, uh, he has weapons on both sides of the ball. He's got a running back where he, he had a running back till last night, but I'm, I still have faith in Chuba Hubbard uh, to get that workload in there and he'll be all right. Um, but yeah, it's been instrumental in the Panthers success. I, before the season started, I had the Panthers going 11 and six as a wildcard team. Um, and I had DJ Moore as the leading receiver in the NFL for uh, receiving yards right now. He's second. Uh, obviously, but they've played that extra game that everyone else hasn't, but it's still looking pretty good there. And yeah, I was, I was high on the Panthers. I knew they had an underrated defense right now. They're leading the league in yards allowed per game, points allowed per game, sacks, QB hits, and passing and rushing yards per game. So if you didn't know that, now you know. They arguably have the best defense in the NFL right now. Yeah, their defense is something that I'm going to dive into as well. They're building this defensive unit up for about two years. We all know 
um, last year when they had the NFL draft, all their picks were defensive. Mm -hmm. um, they went all out in that. And then we know Brian Burns was picked a couple years prior as well. Brian Burns has started to come into his own. Shaq Thompson's been there since the Luke Keekly days. And we know about Jeremy Chin. And before he went out with the injury, J.C. Horn this year was playing particularly well. I think the biggest thing that pops off with the Panthers is their ability to get to the pass rusher. Um, how creative do you feel like they've been in terms of finding different ways to get to the quarterback? And how do you think that level of defensive play within the trenches and with the linebackers will help push this team, considering the fact that they lost their best corner yesterday and they're going to need all the pass rush they can get to continue to be a productive pass defense? Yeah, I think it's been very important how they've been getting to the quarterback. And as I know, they haven't been playing the best opponents to start off the season. But I know as soon as they start getting up to like Tampa Bay and New Orleans, they're going to have to get more and more creative. And that defensive secondary is going to have to get uh, probably going to be probably going to end up in more one on one coverages that they're going to need to uh, win because those O lines that are protecting, protecting Jameis and protecting Tom Brady are going, it's good. It's, yeah, it's going to be tougher. But I think that defense has been in the works for a couple of seasons now. And now this is the season where it's all coming together and it's going to end up at the end of the season. I would not be surprised if it was a top five defense at the end of the season. Top 10 is probably more realistic, but the way that they're getting the quarterback, the way that they're limiting the run, uh, and then there's when they when the teams convert to passing because they can't establish the run, they're not getting anywhere either. So um, all around that defense is. It's, it's elite. I would say it's elite. I would even go that far to say it's elite. I know losing JC Horn is tough. He was on track for rookie of the year. Like um, that's, and that's tough to lose him and CMC in the same game, but I don't think it's going to affect them. They got depth. They've been building through the draft for the past couple of years and they'll, they'll end up as a wild card team. No doubt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is a Carolina defense through the first three games. If we're recorded rather 16 sacks 17 hits and 47 quarterback hurries now granted like you stated before they have played against the Jets who yep. have one of the worst offensive lines in the league the Saints didn't have their starting center and basically their offensive staff their coaching staff in general was out yeah. because of COVID so they had issues there um the Texans passing O-line O-line protection wise was a step up in comparison to the other two teams that they played and they were able sure. to terrorize um David uh, Mills throughout yep. the night. Um, I want to go back to the injuries that they've suffered. J.C. Horn and Christian McCaffrey, you already stated that these are guys that, yeah, they've lost, but they have the depth in particular to be able to survive and still prosper as a unit. But out of the two, which one do you feel like will be the biggest injury that they'll feel the most as the season goes on? Yeah, definitely uh, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, not only is the number one uh, draft pick in fantasy sports, all across the board, but he's their number one player on the roster and losing him to injury is tough. Granted, I think it's only going to be a couple of weeks, but in the preseason, I let everyone know that Chuba Hubbard is a name that you need to know. And it's a name that you need to monitor in your drafts. And it's a name that you're going to get familiar with because as much as it sucks, Christian McCaffrey is going to start getting labeled as injury prone. And that's tough because you don't want to see a guy that successful and that talented be struck by injuries year after year after year. But Losing him is definitely greater than losing J.C. Horn, although J.C. Horn has been playing amazing and was on track for rookie of the year on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't really think they're going to lose a whole lot. I think it's just going to increase the pass game. Uh, D.J. Moore is going to keep tearing it up. Robbie Anderson is probably going to see an increase of workload. 
And I think Chuba Hubbard combined with Royce Freeman, I think that would be a good tandem in the backfield to get the job done in the running game. Yeah, those are great points that you just stated. I'm going to take a different approach. I feel yeah. like J.C. Horn is probably the bigger loss. And I feel of that way because last year Carolina suffered an injury with McCaffrey, and they were able to still the run. They were able to still run the ball particularly well with Mike Davis. Now, granted, they weren't a successful team last season, mainly in my opinion, because their defense was still coming into its own. It was rather young, and they gave sure. up a lot of plays, which made Carolina play a lot of shootouts that they haven't really had to play a, a ton of this far in the season. But Chuba Hubbard, I thought, and you were high on him, and I read about that before we did this pod. He started to really get his bearings about him running the football as the game ended. He finished with 11 carries for 53 yards, 35 yards after contact. And the way Carolina runs the football, and we've kind of seen this the last few years, they run between the tackles first and foremost before establishing perimeter runs on the edge. Hubbard has been able to run at that type of pace and play at that type of rate very well since his Oklahoma State days. And so, yeah, I think the biggest drop-off you'll feel with Hubbard is he's not going to be as effective outside the backfield as a receiver. That was very prevalent yesterday when they ran a, like a receiver route for him out of the backfield in the red zone, and he clearly dropped the ball. But I think he's still a guy that you can utilize, along with Royce Freeman, who can – they can both kind of collab and maybe eclipse 100 yards rushing as a team. I think mm -hmm. Horn's a bigger loss because of his flexibility as a corner, not just on the outside but in the slot. Before he got hurt, he was one of the better slot corners coverage-wise in the league. And that's something you're going to miss. And so now you're kind of down to their former first-round pick, Dante Jackson, who has struggled at times to utilize his ball skills and coverage, and then everything else behind Dante as well. So it's really going to be depending on the pass for us to kind of get home and compensate for their loss of secondary play. And then also, like you stated as well, McCaffrey is going to be back eventually, but he's going to miss three games. And these next three games for Carolina are, in my opinion, pretty tough. You got Dallas. Minnesota and Philly. Uh, do you feel like the, this stretch will kind of determine how legit Carolina is as a postseason team? Yep. If they can walk away from this, these next three games with two wins, I think they're, they're bound for the wild card. If they drop two, drop all three, then I don't know. It's going to be a lot. It's like, it's going to be a lot tougher, especially because you got the NFC West as competitive as it is. And you got the NFC South competitive as well. With the Bucks, the Panthers and the Saints all vying for wild card spots in the division. But yeah, two and one, if they come two and one out of this, that's great. And I look at those defenses, the Dallas defense isn't that great. The Vikings defense has been underperforming the first two weeks. So I think those would be the two games that they could walk away with, with wins and then they struggle against Philly. Yeah, great points, great points. I do feel Philadelphia out of the three teams has the better defense. Yep. Uh, they've had a front four, it seems like for the last two years, they had a great front four, a top tier front four last season, even though from a record perspective, they were horrible. So I think from a pass rushing perspective, it'll antagonize that Carolina front line that has been very vulnerable, even throughout their successful stretch. Donald's been sacked like six times. Yeah. Um, however, I do feel Dallas and Minnesota, while their defenses are more so of a bender, don't break. And a lot of times they do break. Their best defense is their offense, and this will be the first time Carolina all season is going to play a team across from them that has a better offense than them in terms of being high-powered and their ability to score. And so that will put pressure on Carolina, in my opinion, to match that at times. So it'll be interesting to see what Matt Rule's game plan will be with not just Darnold and the running game, but in terms of how they're able to control the clock and make sure they win the time of possession battle to protect their defense from having to be out on the field more times than not. And that kind of segues me into 
the analysis of Sam Darnold. He's been productive so far, five touchdowns, um, one interception. Uh, he His air distance is only 7.9. He's only had one turnover play. His adjusted completion percentage is 77%. But that was his last game, I might add. But it's been a lot of intermediate routes for him. And in the Thursday night football game, a lot of people are kind of harping on the fact that he bypassed some vertical shot opportunities down the field from some safer routes in the middle. And this is kind of the philosophy – kind of the philosophy the Panthers and Matt Rule have established with Darnold take what's take what's available in the middle of the field and if that's not check it down to your backs do you feel like over time Darnold is going to have to test the waters down the field not just to keep the defense honest but to also utilize Robbie Anderson whose biggest threat is his ability to take the top off the defense down the field yeah I feel like these first couple games I mean the Panthers know that they weren't playing the best defenses they weren't playing the best teams so there was some room to just kind of ease Sam Darnold into the quarterback position, ease him into the playbook. I think as the season goes along and as we get further and further along in the season, they're going to expand the playbook more. Darnold's going to be able to understand more and more of the plays. I think those deep shots to Robbie Anderson are going to happen, um, especially since they have that past connection in New York. The chemistry is there. It's just a matter of not being there, uh, not executing on it and just trying to play it safe and win, just win games. And honestly, that's the approach that I want to see from Sam Darnold. I don't want him to, I don't want him to go out and be a superstar. He's not that, he's not that level. People are still sleeping on him as like a competent quarterback. He's got to prove that first. And I think what Matt rule is doing right now in that offense is just proving that he is a competent quarterback. And as he progresses and as he learns the playbook and gets more comfortable, playbook's going to get more and more open. There's going to be more deep shots, more creative play calls. So that's, that's my take on that. I think it's a valid point. I do feel over time as everybody in your offense gets a rhythm with terms of comfortability within certain plays, the playbook will expand. But I will say how they're playing now is kind of an extension of how I saw them play in the preseason when not just Donald, but P.J. Walker was out there. Um, it's a lot of deep intermediate crossing routes, a lot of check downs to the running backs because they acknowledge that their quarterbacks have arm talent for sure. I saw it. Um, Darnold really making some pinpoint passes underneath in stride to his receivers, but maybe they're not testing the waters down the field because they don't want to amplify turnover worthy plays. I think that's something to consider, but I do feel like over time, Darnold is going to be forced to expand his range as a passer. And then we'll see where that goes there. Um, it's an alarming thing to see that Robbie Anderson last season was dominating from a vertical threat perspective. And right now he hasn't even eclipsed 200 yards receiving. It's good for DJ Moore. I think his connection with DJ Moore has been solid. It's been good for tight ends like Tommy Trimble. They've developed a rapport. But I do feel like eventually utilizing Anderson, and not only just him, but Terrace Marshall as well, is only going to open up that offense. If they're able to do so down the line and he's productive, then these questions are answered. If they're not, I think that opens it up for people to be like, well, Donald's Mr. Checkdown is yeah. Matt Rule sold on his ability to be a big-time passer down the field. For sure, I get that. Yep. And I think some of the play calling is because Terrence Marshall is also a rookie. He's trying to learn the playbook too. I just think over time it'll get better. Yeah, it's a process. It's early in the season. Um, great point in terms of Marshall's a young gun. He's a rookie. So they'll establish a report and everything will come together. But they got a litmus test three games in a row moving forward. That will truly test that theory. Speaking of early season litmus test, the Bucks and the Rams meet week three showdown between Tampa Bay and the L.A. Rams. Tom Brady's been phenomenal so far this season. 
only on 88 pass attempts. He's completed 659 yards and nine touchdowns. He had that five touchdown performance against Atlanta, only two interceptions, eight big time throws. Um, he's been accurate on most of his throws. 63.5% of his throws have been accurate in that perspective. But now he's going up against a Rams defense that these two teams had a matchup last season. Rams kind of dominated on both ends of the football. And such can be said that maybe that kind of concurs again. This is a Rams D-line that had seven sacks, that seven sacks right now currently, 42 total pressures, 23 quick pressures. They they get inside the backfield with a fevering rate led by Aaron Donald. How important do you think this lineup will be decided between the two in terms of Tampa Bay's offensive line versus the L.A. Rams defensive line? Oh, man, if we're, com- if we're comparing that matchup, I think it goes to uh, the Rams D-line 100%. And I think that's one of the keys to that game on Sunday is the Rams can get in the backfield and force Tom Brady to get rid of the ball right away. I think that that helps them. If Tom Brady is able to sit back and get good protection, he's going to he's gonna find someone. He's going to find Godwin. He's going to find Evans. Uh, he's going to find Gronk. And it's, yeah, it's, it's essential that the Rams get in the backfield. First of all, stop the run, make the Bucks pass oriented. And then once they establish that, just get after them. And I think that's a, that's a major key to win the game on Sunday for the Rams. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that match is really important for LA. I think they're a great secondary, but Tom Brady has shown throughout his career that great secondaries can be at his mercy if you're not able to get to on a consistent rate. Aaron Donald's been dominant for the past, really his past career, his whole career, and he's still going strong. But the thing that's really stood out for me in their first two games against Chicago and Indianapolis is individuals not named Donald getting to the quarterback. And that mm-hmm. usually happens when you play alongside a guy like Donald because he gets double and triple teams. And you have the likes of Leonard Ford and Sebastian Day. They're all making impactful plays. But you did open the door in terms of the Rams needing to stop the run. David Montgomery had 100 yards rushing plus early in the season. Um, When they played Indianapolis, none of the three backs that the Colts had went off. But when they put those guys in, they were able to get solid yards. Um, How important is it for the Rams to establish um, some level of productivity in terms of stopping the run? Because, yeah, we all know about Brady's greatness, but if you're letting Leonard Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones get solid yards per pop, it kind of opens everything up for that tempo offense. Yeah, if you let Leonard Fournette or Ronald Jones get going or Giovanni Bernard, like that's not a good sign. And it's probably going to end up with a Rams loss, um, if I'm being honest with you. Because once you get that run going, then you have to stay ready for that. And then that's when Tom Brady beats you up with a play-action pass to Gronk or Mike Evans downfield. And the next thing you know, you're down two scores. And then you can't establish throwing on the other side of the ball, Daryl Henderson, and you're forcing Matthew Stafford to make a lot of high-stress throws against a very dominant defense that's going to be pressuring him all game long, too. So at the O-line, D-line matchup, and then the Rams' ability to stop the run are like the two key factors of that matchup on Sunday. Very important for those two times. And that's how to ball for Tampa and the Rams, and then reverse flip it, in essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stafford's been pretty solid for the Rams so far. They had that phenomenal season opening game where everybody was ready to laud him as the best Rams quarterback they've seen since maybe Kurt Warner. He was phenomenal in that game, 20 of 27, 323 yards and three scores. Um, he averaged really 12 yards on attempt every time he threw the football. His air distance on the throws is nearing 11. 
But then in week two against the Colts, kind of went back to stats. We've been accustomed to seeing of Stafford when he plays tough defenses, even dating back to his career with the Lions. He was 19 to 30, 278, threw a pick, but he had two scores, and they really start to establish the running game once he turned the ball over early in that matchup. Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle were productive, but Henderson's not there, which means potentially Michelle's going to get a bulk load of the carries. Do you still feel like even with Stafford on the roster, the Rams offense will only achieve its heights as far as their running game is able to take them? That's a good question. I would have to say that um, it does start with the run game with the Rams, but <clears throat> I th- before the season started, I said Matthew Stafford was that missing piece for L.A. to take them to a Super Bowl. And I think he has that playmaking ability and that scramble ability to really give the Bucs defense nightmares. So I don't if the Rams aren't able to establish a solid run game, I think they'd still be all right in trying to in terms of winning the game. But it's going to be a lot more challenging. It's really going to test Matt Stafford and we may or may not see the first signature win there. Yeah, I I do agree. This is why they get Stafford for games like this, just in case the running game isn't going at that machine-like rate that we've seen McVay be able to establish with that L.A. offense. But I also feel like Stafford at this point in his career, I think it's probably best. And I always felt like this in Detroit when Detroit had success, which was rare, when they made the playoffs. They were a balanced offensive team, taking the load off of Stafford from having to make big-time throw after big-time throw because that enhances his interception rate because, lack of a better phrase, Stafford's a gunslinger. And when Mm -hmm. you're a gunslinger nine times out of ten, you test the waters in terms of your accuracy every time you drop back, and that gives out great things and sometimes bad things. And I did think that Colts game kind of magnified that the Rams could win, like you stated, different ways. They can win off of Stafford's arm like they did week one. And then in week two, they can establish a level of balance and productivity by slowing the game down and running the football. Now, they're in luck, though, playing against a Tampa squad, who's passed for us through two games. has been kind of a little bit underwhelming, three sacks, but they've had had 53 total pressures, 30 quick pressures. But their pass defense overall has been atrocious. If your name's yep. not Carlton Davis, everybody else in that secondary has been Pretty underwhelming. Now, Mike Edwards was a defensive player of the year, but his two interceptions, if you go back and look at it, um, were just basically based upon Matt Ryan trying to get the ball out quick because he was pressing and he started seeing some ghosts because of that Tampa Bay pass rush. But overall, this hasn't been a very good Tampa Bay secondary. Do you see their weaknesses continuing? Because now you're playing a team in the Rams who we know about Cooper Cup's dominance, but they still have Robert Woods, still have Van Jefferson, and they do have – the underrated Tyler Higby. Yeah, I think the defense is still going to struggle. I think a lot of people are overestimating how great that defensive front is compared to like last year. Like that that squad was rolling last year. This season, they're starting off shaky. Almost lost that game to Dallas week one. Uh, before those two interceptions by Matt Ryan, that game, they allowed the Falcons back in that game. I think people forget that. They see the final score and they're like, oh, it was a blowout. No. I mean, they started off strong for the Bucs, but they let them back in the game, which you can't do. You can't. And people say, oh, they're just playing conservative. You, in the NFL, there's no such thing as conservative. you got to put the foot on the throttle all four quarters. And if the defense was playing conservative, then I don't eh, – it is what it is then. But I, I see it being shaky this week too. Like you said, Cooper Cup, probably the most underrated wide receiver 
is better than whoever's going to be on him. I think Tyler Higby is the difference maker on that offense. Last week, he only had one catch, and that's not going to that's not going to get the job done. But if he can put together like a six seven reception performance, that's great. I think he can. He's capable of doing that. And then Van Jefferson's kind of like that wild card, that deep threat that you always have to be thinking about in the back of your mind. And I wouldn't be surprised if he scores because he's going to be going up against the CB3 slot corner. And yeah, I, I see a shaky Sunday Sunday performance by the Bucks defense. Yeah, I see it being a long day for Tampa secondary as well. You know, Carlton Davis has played phenomenal, and I think he's really just carrying over his productivity in the postseason. But Sean Murphy Bunting got hurt early in the year, season opening game against Dallas. He won't be playing. Um, now they're down to their third and fourth corners, and they're very suspect. And you're going against a Rams team now with a better quarterback. All receivers on their squad are more active threats in the passing game. And Cooper Cup's been phenomenal. I know because he's on my fantasy team. He's been killing uh-huh. it. But they move and operate Cup in a variety of ways. He doesn't just line up as the X or the Y. They yep. put him in a slot, too. So there's also going to be times where Cup isn't matched up against Carlton Davis. And what are you going to do there when you have a mismatch? Which your fourth and fifth corner. Exactly. So with Tampa, like you stated, uh, this is kind of a Ben and break type defense. If you look at them statistically, like they've given up the most catches in football so far. Um, their air distance that they allow because of it is only 6.6. Um, but you can really thank Matt Ryan for that because in week one, yeah. uh, Dak Prescott was throwing it deep down the field. Week two, not so much with Matt. But and they give up the most passing TDs allowed, seven. Now, they're yep. tied second most with picks with four. So they're opportunistic, which basically means, you know, you can keep testing them defensively. You're going to get huge chunk plays, but they're just begging on the fact that as the game goes on, they'll make a turnover-worthy play that gets it back to their offense. I kind of like that Tampa Bay team with the Kansas City defense. Now, obviously, Kansas City's defense is way worse than Tampa's right now, but they're kind of operating on the same accord. It's basically we have this all-world quarterback take us home. That's helped for Tampa two games in because Dallas was breaking in a new defense and Atlanta's horrible. But as the season goes on, you're going to want your defense to get get its bearings together because you're going to need them to win a few games um, this season. And you're in a division where we just talked about this team before. Carolina's a lot better. New Orleans, when you eventually play them, they'll be a little bit more healthier with their core pieces and establishing a rapport as well. And you, you want to make sure that you're on your best behavior defensively because if you're not, every time Tom Brady has to drop back and throw it at 30 or 40 times, you are putting him in harm's way. Exactly. Yep. Moving on from there with the Bucks and Rams game, Justin Fields, first ever start. He's going to make it against Cleveland. Um, I thought in relief of Andy Dalton, he played okay. It wasn't as bad as I feel like a lot of people made it to be. I'm not going to say it was all worlds, but he had the vertical shots at Allen Robertson that was dropped, had a pass play to Cole commit that was a first down taken back because it was a holding. Did have that bad interception where it was like hot read-esque. He wanted to get the ball out quick, and the linebacker was waiting underneath. But lack of better terms, Fields is going to give Chicago the best chance to win because of his legs and his big playability, throwing the football down the field. Now, he plays a Cleveland team who defensively have been hit or miss so far. How do you feel his first start will go in the NFL? And what is probably the things that he needs to do or Chicago needs to do to make sure he's comfortable so the Bears can get their second win in a row? Yeah, if Chicago wants to win on Sunday, and usually starting your rookie quarterback against the Browns is a great thing, but now the Browns are on the come up. They've been on the come up for the past few years. 
they built a pretty good defense, but yeah, it's been hit or miss so far. Uh, but if Justin Fields wants to win on Sunday, he's got to improvise. So if the play breaks down, he's got to be able to get out of there, uh, make the right read, whether it be running for a first down, making sure to slide, not take any hits um, or finding someone downfield. And I think this is going to be a big week for Darnell Mooney. I think a lot of the focus is going to be on Allen Robinson for the Browns defense and stopping him. Uh, so I think Darnell Mooney's going to get a lot of targets, uh, whether or not he catches them, we'll find out on Sunday. Um, but I think he's that he's the wild card for the bears this week and getting them to a win. And I think it's also huge for the bears to establish the wrong game with David Montgomery to make Justin Fields kind of have that as like his like lean back and he not, not have to take care of too much, not have to make him the centerpiece of the offense in his first NFL start. Cause that is a daunting task for anybody to do. Yeah, I think what Cleveland has going for them that Chicago may have to peel off of because of how stout Cleveland's been so far is the run defense. Uh, the Browns' run defense has been pretty solid. It was solid against Kansas City, um, for better or worse, because since it was solid, Kansas City went through the air, and that helped them get that win. And then I thought against Houston, they struggled because of Tyrod Taylor's ability to utilize his legs. Yep. But, you know, when Davis Mills came into the game, that allure in terms of read option and spread rushing attack, just wasn't there anymore, so that allowed them to lock in and zone in on that. I do feel like Fields, his rapport with Darnell Mooney is solid. I thought it was the best when he came in for relief of Dalton. Um, I think being able to execute on those downfield throws are important for Chicago because I think that's going to loosen up the defense. But I agree. I think making him the centerpiece or having him be the centerpiece because you're down by double digits is not going to be the best case for Chicago. But I do feel like making him the centerpiece in the run game what I mean is utilizing him as a threat and read option. And then yep. his ability to freelance, like you stated, to open up passing lanes for others is going to be influential because, you know, Chicago's offense so far this season, it's been a lot of dink and dunk. And when Fields, he brings that deep threat ability that can help this offense reach its peak. The biggest thing for this Chicago team is their own line is going to have to protect them. I mean, this is yep. a Browns team that through two games has four sacks, eight hits, they win 60.3% of the time when it comes to pressuring the quarterback and their pressure rates almost 45%. So they get to the quarterback. They don't always finish it, but Miles Garrett is going to have a potential day because Chicago's yeah. online just doesn't match up well enough to stop him. So making sure fields is upright is important because you don't want your franchise quarterback to be on the sidelines due to an injury because he's getting banged up. Exactly, man. And <clears throat> that dink and dunk that you're talking about with Andy Dalton, I think that goes away. I think instead of throwing a little check down for two yards, I think Fields will gladly scramble for six or seven. And you'll take that any day of the week as long as he's not getting hit. So, yeah, um, I, that's another factor that's important. Um, now those two yard check downs you're getting become six or seven yard scrambles. I think the biggest thing with Fields so far in his young career is you want him to eventually get comfortable with maybe thinking, maybe realizing it's okay to take the check down. Like Dalton has made it pretty much okay to take the check down throughout his career because I feel like at times he puts himself in harm's way because he's looking for the big play. And a lot of times when he's looking for the big play, he's still in the pocket. And that puts a lot of pressure on a weak O-line that he's behind to hold up, which also opens the door for him to get hit. So utilizing no check downs are important. Um, him rolling out and being productive as a runner is something that's huge as well. On the flip side, Cleveland's offense has been solid. They've been able to run the ball particularly well. Um, and they're matching up against the Chicago defense that looked horrendous against the Rams 
and then completely flustered Joe Burrow the next week. Do you feel like that Bears defense could have a similar impact with Mayfield if they're able to shut down the run? Yeah, Baker Mayfield's a quarterback that you can get you can get flustered very easily. I think we've seen that in the past before. Um, I can't go, I can't begin to like say how important it is that he's gonna have OBJ. If he was gonna be out plus Jarvis out, that that's not good. <laughs> and you're relying on what is it, Donovan Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, that's not that would not have been a good matchup. And I think the Bears defense would have been able to keep Chicago in the game, regardless of how bad the Bears offense is. But he has OBJ. He's ready to go 100%. I'm assuming he's 100%. I know they wouldn't want to rush him back. Um, if OBJ can get going and the Browns can establish the run, I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to have a single worry in the world and the Browns should win comfortably. However, if the Bears can get off to a hot start defensively, uh, get Baker knocked down a couple times. It's very easy to foster him. He's got that sort of like ego temper type behind him. Like it's possible. I won't, I won't say it's not possible. It's definitely possible. Yeah. I mean, the Chicago defense, um, cause I now live in the Chicago area. So fans talk about their team all the time. Yeah. Um, they've stated that their defense has peaked. They peaked, you know, two, three years ago when Trubisky led them to the playoffs the first time when mm -hmm. he lost to Philadelphia in the wild card. So, now we're looking at what they are as a team, especially in the secondary. Uh, you know, Jalen Johnson's played very well, but he's their best corner. And we expect him to match up with Odell Beckham, which is why I don't expect Odell, like you probably think, to have this huge game. But I don't think they need him to because they have three tight ends on the roster and then Joku, yeah. Hooper, and Bryant that they utilize pretty well in the passing game. So I expect them to be factors. I expect them to continue to run the football, maybe open up the screen game potentially, maybe utilize Baker's legs. But I think the thing that Cincinnati didn't do well that allowed Chicago to antagonize Burrow, that I think the Browns will, is continue to incorporate not just the run game, but understand that the short passing game, whether it's out the backfield or underneath, is also an extension of the running oh, yeah. game. I don't expect Cleveland to just have Mayfield, because they haven't done so so far to drop back 30 times. Because oh, yeah. if you draw back 30 times against Chicago, Akeem Hicks and uh, Khalil Mack, they still are there. There's still problems, and they're mm -hmm. having problems throughout their career, so they can get to them. So I expect Cleveland, you know, not to do that, and that's going to put them in a good position. Um, one more topic I want to add before I wrap this segment up. Um, once again, I want to thank you for really coming on this pod. It's been a pretty good enjoying. It's been very enjoyable to talk about a variety of football topics. Um, I want to really touch base on the rookie quarterback situation. We just talked about Justin Fields going to get his first start. feels like all of these rookie quarterbacks, with the exception of Trey Lance, because he really hasn't played, yeah. have all had their ups and downs. Mac Jones seems like he's been the most productive, but we can all attribute that to the fact that Belichick and Josh McDaniels have went out of their way to ensure that their rookie quarterback isn't having to make the big-time throws and decisions all the time when he's behind center. Can't really say the same for Jacksonville or New York. Um, do you see signs of potential with all of these guys, even though they've been up and down? Or do you feel like out of all the quarterbacks that have been playing that are rookies, one of them, the situation he's in is something that you feel like will translate over time as being a consistent problem within his organization? Yeah, so I'll first touch on Mac Jones. I know his like air yards are extremely low. And I, I, love, I love the fact that uh, Belichick and McDaniels have set up the offense for him. And realistically, they should be 2-0 if 
Damian Harris doesn't fumble against Miami. They're 2-0, in my opinion. Um, I don't see Tua driving down the field and winning that game. Um, but, yeah, I think Mac Jones and how the Patriots are set up, he's like a Tom Brady-type quarterback. Granted, obviously, hasn't played 21 years, all that. But he has all the same skill sets that Tom has. And that offense was built for a guy like Tom Brady, and it's built for a guy like Mac Jones. And I honestly, like in 100%, say this with confidence, I think Mac Jones is the franchise quarterback for New England for the next 10, 15 years. I, as long as Bill's coaching, I think when Bill's done coaching, it's McDaniel's job, and he's going to just keep doing what Bill's been doing because he's been there and worked with them for God knows how long now. But I think that's the best situation. I think if we're looking back at this draft class of QBs um, 10 years from now, it's going to be Mac Jones, and it's going to be Trey Lance. Obviously, we haven't seen Trey Lance yet because – 49ers are doing the right thing and letting Jimmy play until he's proven that he's injury or not able to play, but no thoughts on Trey until he's actually playing games. So I'll leave that alone. The guy that I think is kind of screwed next couple of years, it's Zach Wilson. People are saying he's Sam Darnold 2.0 already. And as much as I, I, I agree with that, but I think Zach Wilson like what he provides with his mobility. I don't think the Jets have been using it to their advantage, at least from what I've seen uh, on Twitter and like on my feeds and from watching a little bit of film here or there. And I think Zach Wilson is doomed until he gets out of there. So that's just my take on that. So Mac Jones, best situation, Zach Wilson, worse. I will say Trevor Lawrence, uh, he started off slow. Uh, he set the NFL record for most, uh, percentage off target uh, passes like 35%, which is very alarming because he has wide receivers down there. Uh, DJ Chark, LaVisca before he got hurt. So that's alarming. But I also think it goes back to Urban Meyer and him just not being an NFL coach. And I don't think he makes it through the season. So I think a new coach in Jacksonville will help Trevor get back to where he needs to be going for his NFL career. And I see, I see him making progress into maybe his ceiling, like being a Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill type quarterback in the near future. Yeah, great points. Really added with all those quarterbacks. Um, I do feel, I feel like when the draft was happening, that Trey Lance had the highest ceiling. And mm -hmm. I do feel like whenever he gets the opportunity to play, all materialize productively for the Niners. And I do feel like it's probably a seamless fit with him there because of his rushing ability, because of Kyle Shanahan's ability to create dominant rushing offenses with any type of running back he has, whether it's Albert Morris, Raheem Moster, it doesn't matter. He's able to get the best out of he can out of the run game. Um, Zach Wilson, I always felt like his, he could be potentially Kyler Murray. And I said Kyler Murray because of his mobility and his ability to kind of get the ball out of his hands with a whip. But then I also felt like he could in retrospect be Jeff Garcia in terms of <laughs> his stature um, his accuracy comes and goes, but we can both agree that the Jets situations, it's not a good one. And we mm -hmm. all thought maybe they could take the next step up because they went out in the draft and got Makai Becton and got Elijah Vera Tucker. And now Becton's hurt and Vera Tucker was hurt at one point. He's kind of trying to grow into the position. So that old line, that old line inevitably needs to be together, healthy, have cohesion to be productive, to protect him. But I also think, like you stated, because I watched the Patriot game from start to finish because I had to cover it, um, they didn't utilize his, 
his legs at all. And really when the game ended, they kind of condemned him when he did utilize his legs to try to extend passing plays. Yeah. Basically, like, look, if the play's not there, just get it out. And while I do agree, as that game wore on, he started pressing even more because he was upset and frustrated with how the game was going. I do feel like he has the arm strength and the capability to be productive as a passer, but he's also mobile. So don't just restrict him and constrict him into the pocket like he's a pocket statue as passer. Utilize that productively, all of his tools, you can get the best out of them. I think it's just a Jets issue, not just with the coaching, but with the front office. They need to completely clean house, like yeah. really. Um, with Trevor in Jacksonville, I agree. Urban Meyer, he just isn't that guy. I think we all thought he wasn't going to be able to last collegiately. We saw, I mean, not collegiately, but in the NFL, we saw collegiately though, we ran into some issues like off the field. He hurried up and like put up the deuces. So he's never been a guy that I felt yeah. is apropos for adversity at all as a coach, let alone at, let alone adversity at the pro level. So not shocked there. Um, but I am appalled that Trevor Lawrence's accuracy has been wayward a lot. He missed a lot of guys his first game. And in the second game, he did the same thing. And mm -hmm. the one stat that popped into my mind that kind of looks like it's translating a little bit in the pros, was I think he had a percentage of 55% when it came to his ability to pass the football against man coverage. And it feels like at times against tight coverage, he struggles to make those tight window throws. But I'm going to chalk it up as coaching situation and they're not really helping him a ton because they're no. putting it all on his shoulders when they don't have to they have james robinson oh. and carlos Hyde. so like so, 40 times a game right so <laughs> having robinson and Hyde, it's not like your running back room is as bare as the niners who yeah. all their backs are hurt currently utilize those guys more i thought they did it more against denver but ironically enough they started to do it more when they were down 10 so it's that's that situation that Jackson goes in. It's unfortunate Trevor's a part of that. And you want to just hope that the best thing for Trevor will be Urban Meyer leaving or getting fired. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least with Justin Fields. Oh, also Mac Jones. We're going to get the Mac last. But Justin, Justin, kind of the same thing. I don't think Matt Nagy is a horrible coach. I just feel like Matt Nagy, his time and his clock has reached this point in Chicago. I think eventually he's going to be out and they're going to put somebody in that's going to make sure Justin's in the best position to succeed. I do feel like Justin is a perfect fit for that offense because of his mobility and because he's a much better vertical passer than Trubisky was. So he's going to look inevitably, as long as Nagy's there and Fields gets comfortable, he's going to look good on that team. I, I think within that offense, it's just the O-line is a problem. And I also think their division. Uh, Green Bay is who you're chasing. Um, Minnesota is another team you're chasing because I don't think you're better than them. So those are two teams that have offenses that are high powered. So as dynamic as Justin is, you do have to make sure on the defensive side, you're a lot stable there as well. I don't think they are as stable there. They're trying to really rebuild on the fly defensively, especially in the secondary by trading Kyle Fuller and basically making Jalen Johnson their cornerback one. It's worked well so far because Johnson's been phenomenal in coverage. But we'll see there. And then with Mac Jones, I think Mac Jones is going to be the guy that's going to have immediate success early. And he's having immediate success now because he has a coaching staff with stability. And his play style perfectly fits, like you said, when New England's trying to create. It's a lot of underneath passing, get the ball out quick, uh, make sure to take the safest throw possible, suck the defense in. And then he has a sneaky deep ball that can kill you. And obviously, he, Damian Harris doesn't form the football. They beat Miami. 
they resoundingly beat the Jets. And I feel like when it's all said and done, Max probably going to be the guy that's going to be in the playoffs because that offense is stable. The roster is stable and they have a coaching staff that puts him in the best situations to be successful. And he maximizes that daily. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, the Patriots offense is made to not turn the ball over and have the quarterback make smart, concise decisions. And that's what Mac Jones did exactly at Alabama. He wasn't the, the key of that offense. He was just the distributor. And that's exactly what he's it's exactly what he is in New England, too. So I think it's that was the bit. The fact that they got him at draft night, I was like, wow, that that's Bill Belichick's doing his thing again. And now here we are. They should be two and all. Wouldn't be surprised if they make the wild card his rookie year. I agree with that sentiment as well. Um, felt to him perfectly at 15. And everybody thought division-wise, Buffalo and Miami were just far and away better than New England. And now two weeks in, they're both one and one. And all those teams in their division are showing flaws as well as strengths that kind of put New England back into the picture of being a competitor. So I think it's going to work out for them moving forward. And I think New England's going to be fine. They're going to be able to compete moving forward with Mac as their guy. And with that, um, this is the end of the recent episode of Independent Intel. It was great to have Jake from Uncover NFL on here talk football um, before we go. Just want, you know, Jake talk about the experience he had on the pod um, and maybe a couple of things, factoids he feels like we should both be focused on. The, the listeners should be focused on as we head into week three of the NFL season. Yeah, I had a great time on here. I appreciate you reaching out to me and getting me on here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk football with people that love and enjoy football. Um, let's see a couple, couple facts that I should leave the viewers or the listeners with. The Broncos made the right choice starting Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think it's worked out great so far and it's going to continue to work out great. I, People argue that Drew Locke, oh, he can provide more upside. He can really take them to that, like, next level. And I, I, I've yet to see that out of him, and I don't think this year would have been any different. Uh, going with Teddy Bridgewater, safe move, smart move, and the result of it, they're 2-0. And they're probably going to end up – or I wouldn't say probably because the AFC is ridiculous this season, but they've got a pretty good chance at a wild card. They really do. they got a top-five defense on the other side of the ball. Uh, losing Judy sucks, but Cortland Sutton – is that wide receiver one and he can put up the numbers that he did last week, any day of the week, Melvin Gordon's still a good back. Uh, I don't know who their other running back is, but I know they got a good tandem back there and no offense, a good young tight end that can catch balls and be a difference maker as well. Yeah, I agree with that perspective. Totally. Uh, I do feel like Denver is a legit team. I know a lot of people keep saying um, because there's been a variety of posts on Instagram saying out of all these 2-0 teams, which one is the least for real? And a lot of people have picked Denver because of who they've played. But if you watch who they've played and how they've played them, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me is how much more dynamic their offense is with a legit NFL quarterback. And Teddy Bridgewater, no, he isn't Derek Carr. He isn't Patrick Mahomes. He isn't Tom Brady, but he's an NFL caliber quarterback that can make all of the throws, which means receivers and tight ends on that offense can be maximized. We've all heard about no offense ability, but we've never heard that ability translate to statistical success because of the incompetence at QB. Cortland Sutton was the man coming out of SMU collegiately. We just weren't really able to see that translate into anything tangible because of the quarterback. Now Teddy's there. Sutton had a huge game last week. 
Bant's been productive, catching the football. Tim Patrick's been even included offensively. And they got Melvin Gordon ring out of the backfield and another young running back. His name, like just like you, just like you said on your end, kind of slips me, but he's from North Carolina. So they're running the football very well, the passing very well. And so yeah, they have a light part of their schedule. But I feel like as they kind of clash with divisional teams, they can hang with a Kansas City who shows defensive vulnerabilities. They can hang with a Las Vegas and they can hang with the LA Chargers. So I don't think a lot of people thought Denver would be a playoff team, but because of Teddy and the dominance of their defense, they're a legit one at that. Yep. Yeah, I got two more. Uh, one, one more that I'm going to touch on right now is Kirk Cousins deserves better. I, I made a post about that last week and put that out there. But I, I've never seen a quarterback get screwed over by his coaching staff, by his defense, by his kickers more than Kirk Cousins. I saw a stat today that like since 2019, he has the most games with a passer rating over 100. That's that's just incredible. And the fact that people still don't consider him a top 10 quarterback, like granted, yes, he is Justin Jefferson and he is Adam Thielen, but those guys can't do anything unless the ball gets to him in that catchable area. And yeah, that, that, that's just my little thing. My little, I've been high in Kirk cousins ever since Washington, the Redskins, but now the football team, I've been high in him ever since then. I thought he was going to take Minnesota to the next level. And I thought green Bay was finally going to have competition in that division. And they did when that defense was good and healthy, but I personally overrated the, the, the Vikings defense this year. It's still not good. It's not as good as I thought it was going to be. It's costed the Vikings games and their kickers costed Vikings and kickers just don't work out. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. It's crazy with the kicker. Um, uh, he's a rookie. He's a young guy um, throughout really the first two weeks. He's made the 50 yarders, the difficult ones, basically. Yeah. And then the chip yep. shot for the win, it just goes left. And you're just like, man, like what a total Minnesota way to lose with cousins. Not as high on his cousins as you are, but I will say that through the first two games, he's done enough. He hasn't really turned the ball over. He's been able to put the team in position to be successful. He was incredibly solid offensively in the first half against the chart. I guess the Cardinals might add in terms of being able to pass the ball and get receivers involved and score touchdowns. But then on the other end, Minnesota's given up much more to Arizona. And it's crazy because last season, I didn't think they were a playoff team because they were breaking in young guys in the secondary. And I felt like that was a recipe of disaster. And it was. So this year they're like, we're going to get Patrick Peterson, Bashar Breeland, and we're going to get those vets. We're going to see what happens. And it's the same result because I think Peterson is over the hill. His best days are behind him. Breeland was kind of successful in Kansas city, but in large part, Kansas city's defense was successful because Mahomes was in essence, their defense. He scored so much that it put pressure on the opposition to score and they couldn't. So Minnesota is in a tough spot. Um, they got Seattle this weekend. I think that's an L2. So now you're 0-3. And that's the last thing Minnesota fans expected. It's the last thing Kirk expected. I think Kirk's days on the team are numbered. I think this is probably his last year with the squad. And so wherever he goes moving forward, I think for him personally, getting with a team that's solid all around can help elevate his individual stats on the win-loss column. Yeah, if you think about it, the Cow or not the Cowboys, why am I going there? The Vikings are just a couple plays away from being 2-0. Dalvin Cook fumbling on that controversial call week one, and then the kicker missing the kick, game-winning kick week two. Like, Kirk's doing all he can to get them to win games. It's just not working out, and it sucks to see because I am a Kirk Cousins fan. When you were talking about places that he could go after the season, the first one that came to mind was Denver. 
if he went to Denver, Teddy, I mean, as much as we love Teddy, he's not a franchise guy. He's over, I think he's almost 30 or over 30 now years old. Um, if Kirk were to go, go there, have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, granted it's not JJ and Thielen, still great guys to have to throw the ball to. I think that'd be a great place for him to succeed. And then uh, transitioning into the last thing I want to bring up, this about this week, Sunday Night Football, uh, 49ers, Packers. I think the Packers are going to get absolutely manhandled. And it's terrible saying that because that's my team. But uh, they don't have a matchup for George Kittle. Uh, Zadarius Smith is out. If you look at the O-line, uh, they are very – they're underperforming. And I know people aren't looking at the O-line because, oh, Aaron Jones scored four touchdowns last week. One, it's the Lions. Two, the Lions' defense isn't great. But we're already – the Packers are already without Bakhtiari till week six, seven. And now Elton Jenkins has been downgraded to doubtful. That's your top two O-linemen gone. And there's a guy on the other side of the ball named Nick Bosa that's just absolutely going to – be an Aaron Rodgers nightmares yet again. <laughs> and yeah, the Packers didn't look great on Monday night football in the first half. Granted, they took advantage of some Jared Goff turnovers in the second half and they made the win kind of look convincing, but it really wasn't. Um, Aaron Rodgers, not good at playing in California for whatever reason, all those factors put together. It's, it's going to be a dreadful night for me and Packer fans. I'm thinking. Yeah. Dominate shocking shocking that you would say dominate i do think they're going to get beat and i do feel like they're going to be a beat really because of a few reasons for one i do feel like they're green bay's win against detroit is a little bit over exaggerated not just yep. because it's the lions but because of how they won that game was close in the first half i think the lions were leading at the end of the half mm-hmm. i think yep. they were so um second half they utilized the running game because detroit continued to play um deep safeties down the field to protect their corners because they were playing undrafted free agents in their secondary. And eventually Green Bay realized, let's just continue to run against that because there's not enough guys in the box to stop Aaron. He was productive. Niners kind of have a similar situation because their secondary is somewhat decimated as well, but what's not decimated is their front seven. So if the Niners are able to stop the run game with their front guys, get to Aaron Rodgers with their front guys, then there's a problem. And that kind of neutralizes Rodgers' productivity. And then on the offensive end, San Francisco struggled to score against Philadelphia, but Philadelphia is a pretty good defense. They have a solid front seven. Green Bay doesn't have that. Their best corner is Jair. So like you stated, there is no answer for Kittle. Um, Debo Samuel is currently the leading receiver in all of football. So even if Jair covers him, whenever they decide to utilize Brandon Ayuk, he's a factor. I think the best thing Green Bay can hope for is the Niners, again, have running back issues injury-wise. Yeah. But the other reason is whoever the Niners have played at running back throughout the times that they played the Packers recently, they've been able to get rushing touchdowns. They've been able to be productive. So, yeah, I think Green Bay loses in their one and two, which is why their victory against the Lions was important. Because if you go down 0-2 losing to Detroit, there's a chance you go down 0-3 and now the alarm bells ring. But I, I want to hear this perspective from you, and then we can wrap it up. I feel like that New Orleans game that they had, I think, is going to be a continuous reminder of who they are as a team. I think a lot of individuals thought that was a fluke. Obviously, they won't play as bad as they did against the Saints like that consistently, but they're going to have games where they're in their losses. Their weaknesses that were exposed against the Saints will be re-exposed again. The biggest ones are their O-line. It's, yep. it's, it's a mismatch. 
um, which I think they're going to struggle to run the football against better defensive fronts. Detroit, they didn't struggle against that because the defensive front wasn't that productive. They're going to struggle in pass protection because Detroit was getting home with four. And then defensively, as long as Kevin King's out there, he's a mismatch. Yep. And as long as Darius Smith isn't out there, that's a lack of a pass rush for a team that struggles to get to the quarterback. So I don't think those elements are going to change throughout the year. And which is why I think Green Bay, when it's all said and done, may win max nine games personally. No, I mean, I have the winning 11 and that was their ceiling. Um, but yeah, teams that have a pass rush are going to absolutely destroy the O-line and they're going to get to Rodgers and Rodgers won't have time to go through his reads. Uh, I know Monday night Lazard didn't even have a catch. That's their wide receiver too. Uh, Tunyon only caught three passes. And, and the uh, Rodgers missed Marquez Valdez-Scantling on like two or three deep shots that could have been touchdowns if he would have placed the ball there. So there's a lot going on with the Packers that I don't like. Um, next two weeks, it's 49ers and Pittsburgh. Both have very, very, very good defenses. And it's, yeah, not, not, not a fan of how the season is going so far. <laughs> yeah, well, it's tough. Tough to be a Packer fan on that end, but hopefully everything comes together for Green Bay um, as a unit for your sake and for their sake as a franchise. And with that, this is, that re- this is the end of this recent episode of Independent Intel Podcast. I'll be back next week with a new guest, so stay tuned for that. It's great to talk football with Jacob Uncovered NFL. Hope it's a great list for you guys. Have a great day. Peace.